So welcome back to another episode of The Accounting Insider. This episode is going to be quite unique. We're actually recording in my office, in my brand new fitted out meeting room. And my guest today, I don't have Andrew Montessi with me, unfortunately. Hello to you, Andrew, out there. I hope you're listening. Um, we've got Morgan, who has been working for me for seven years? Yes. Yeah, seven, seven years. years. Um, now, Morgan is not only has she started her career from ground zero working with me, you actually did work experience with me, didn't you? Yes. yes. Yeah, which was awesome. And I think that it's been a really good journey, the whole um, – and I, so today I want to tell a bit of your story in, you know, how it's been from day one up until right now. Um, I'm also interested in touching on a new topic today, which – You've become a specialist in, you know, collectively with myself, but, you know, the mechanics of what we're actually going to be talking about, you are doing all the attention to detail on that, Morgan, and that is talking about organising loans for expats. Now, this is a topic which is quite interesting because we in our accountancy practice have developed a niche in organising home loans for people. And also, I mean, when you set up these businesses and these business models, it never works out exactly like you intend it to. But what's actually happened is we've set it up with the idea of doing home loans, but it didn't work out like that because we're accountants and we're across all the numbers and we understand complex structures. I guess the business lending side of our um, home loan lending has actually been bigger than the residential side of that. But that's now gone into another field now, which is organising loans for people who are living overseas. So we're going to touch on that today. But let's go back to right to the very beginning, Morgan, when you started working here. Um, Can you just touch on the work experience week? Um, I spent a week with Kim in the office. I was filing, scanning, any administrative job you can think of. It's probably what I was doing. Um, But it was good fun. It gave a bit of an insight into what you do day-to-day as an accountant, which is good. Um, So did we go for a drive, I reckon, down to Lonsdale or something in the Porsche? Oh, it's not me. <laughs> okay, it must be else, but I, I can, I've got um, recollection of that. I know that you came to a business lunch that I was having with some partners in a rather large firm in Adelaide, and I felt so bad afterwards because I hardly even acknowledged you there, and I, I think you came with your dad, um, but and I rang him like a day late. Do you remember that lunch? Yeah, I yeah, do, yeah. actually. And, and I rang him that night, and I said, I'm so sorry, but I didn't have – the opportunity I was really trying to impress these guys and I didn't have time to talk to you or Morgan and he said no Morgan actually loved it <laughs> and she thought it was a great lunch so that sort of worked out all right but in hindsight it could have been different so where did you go to university and where did you study uh, I went to Adelaide University on Kim's recommendation because that's where he went so <laughs> which is good I'm glad that he pushed me in that direction I looking back thought it was a really hard course, but you didn't have any problems at all. And I think your marks were a hell of a lot better than mine. (laughs) So that all worked out really well. I can remember when we actually had that conversation that uh, you asked where I thought you should study and I said Adelaide Uni and you just did it and just got on with it and the rest is history. So and your grades were heaps better than mine, weren't they? Oh, I wouldn't say heaps better, (laughs) but (laughs) a little bit. Uh, now, the other thing that you're doing, which is quite interesting, is, hang on, before we get on to that, how old are you? 
20, just 24 last week. 24. And you are doing something for a not-for-profit organisation. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, yes. So I'm the chair of Young Variety South Australia, which is um, a subsidiary of Variety South Australia. So we organise events for young people to expose variety to the younger generation. As Variety is traditionally an older crowd, so we're just trying to engage people, you know, 18 to 40, which is a lot of fun. Comes with its challenges, that's for sure, but <laughs> I like it. And how many years are you doing that for? Uh, so it's a three-year term. So I'm seven months into my first year. So I've got a long way to go, but the first year is a big learning curve and then hopefully second and third year can make some real changes. And so what, like, do you have um, certain amounts that you have to fundraise or, like, how does it work? Like, how, how many people are you impacting the lives of? Like, I saw a video that was floating around the office today where you're helping young disadvantaged kids. Is that the sort of thing you do or is it more to raise funds to support these guys or what's what's the sort of ethos we of it? do a little bit of fundraising. However, that's not, you know, the be or end all. It's more creating exposure for a variety and I try and get involved in other facets of variety like the children's party, which we did a month or so ago, which was helping coordinate all the children at the convention centre, which was a huge effort. Um Raising money, obviously. So we've got our quiz night in two days. So that's 270 people. That's a sellout. So hopefully we'll raise a fair bit of money from that through ticket sales, auction items, raffles, all of that kind of general stuff that you do for fundraisers. And so leaping back to the study side of things, so you did – um, your three-year degree at Adelaide University. You finished that. You worked for me solidly all through that. I mean, it was two or three days a week or something, wasn't it? Yes. And then you finished that, and then a year later you went straight into the Chartered Accountancy Program? Yes, I did. And breezed through that. Unlike me, I failed one module. You got straight through. <laughs> that was definitely one of the biggest challenges, I think, of the last since I finished school, but once you get through it, it gives you a lot of confidence that you can do anything, really. It's tough. And looking back, are you happy you did it? Oh, so happy. It gives you – people look at you differently when you finish your CA because it's such a hard course and well-recognised as well. Okay. um, And I don't really want to ask this question, but what's it like working for me? (laughs) People – Every time I tell someone that I work in an accounting firm, they're like, oh, you poor thing. How have you lasted there so long? That must be the worst job in the world. But I love working for Kim because it's so different. So innovative. Every day is different, surprisingly. Working in an accounting firm, you wouldn't think that. But I get exposed to a lot of different facets with financial planning, accounting, mortgage broking, of course. So I definitely enjoy it. I think our firm's quite different from the other firms. Like, we don't wear cardigans to work. <laughs> you know, we don't do what we did last year because that's the way it's always been done. You know, we think outside the square, wouldn't you? You know, it would be fair to say. And we've had phenomenal growth over the years that you've been with me. Um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind, um, you, you know, like you have been instrumental in my building projects. Uh, I've got my builder's license, but you have taken an active role in assisting me in running those jobs. How have you found that? I love it. Um, the, the property is definitely one of my favourite parts of coming to work every day when you've got a new project on the go. We've done some quite big renovations, which has been really fun, but coordinating trades can sometimes have its challenges as well. So 
it's definitely ignited a bit of a passion for property and helped me get into the market. And fast forwarding that, you're actually taking advantage of that yourself now. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening in the next 12 months in your sort of neck of the woods? Yes. So a few months ago now, with my sister, I bought some land in McGill and we're going to build a house. So at the moment, we're going through the planning stage and the engineers were up there yesterday. So it's all action packed in my life at the moment in that respect and interior design and, you know, solar panels and what kind of product to use to build the house. There's lots of challenges in that one as well. So fair to say, you've got a hell of a lot happening in the next 12 months. Are we going to see you at work at all? Or? Yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, good. All right, well, let's actually launch now into the topic that we're supposed to be talking about, um, and this is organising loans for expats. Now, um, I guess, you know, we've got a lot to thank this podcast for, really, haven't we? It's... <laughs> It's interesting how it's set out as the accounting insider, but the way it's actually gone is that, you know, we always keep coming back to property. And property's always been a bit of a sideline hobby of mine, um, and the accounting practice has always been to the core. But this hobby is taking on its life of its own. And it's interesting the way that the whole podcast is sort of spent having this property flair, flavor through the whole lot of it. So, you know, Let's just talk about a couple of case studies that we've been working on. Um, you know, we had someone reach out to us through this podcast who lived overseas, and we started out by organising finance for that person. Um, how did you find that? Um, I mean, were you nervous about it at the start? Because, you know, I, I think it's intimidating to organise finance um, interstate. But that's, <laughs> that's a piece of cake now compared to what's happening um, with our sort of um, organising finance globally. Can you just tell us a bit about the case study with that person living overseas and what, how difficult it was to get the, line, the loan over the line? <laughs> um, you, you don't get nervous about it because if you got nervous every time something hard got thrown your way here, you would be a nervous wreck. But it was certainly a challenge in that respect. It's definitely a lot different to how you go about organising a loan in South Australia or in Australia in general. So every day something new was coming back from the bank about what was required to verify. There are lots of verification. So in Australia, you just give your pay slips and it's all quite straightforward. Whereas overseas, they want to see your bank statements, the pay slips, the tax returns. So they've got multiple verifications that you do actually receive the money. So fair to say it's a normal home loan, but there's a another added layer of complexity on top. All the principles and fundamentals are the same, but with a twist. Yes, exactly, exactly. There's more thorough in everything they do. And if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, would you say that um, the people who are assessing the deal would be amateurs or are they highly experienced individuals? No, the assessors on those kinds of deals are very experienced. They've been in the game for a long time they know what they're looking for they know the tips and tricks that people probably use to get around and get the loan through so they're incredibly thorough with all their checks and of the you know 30 odd banks that we deal with um are there a lot or few that would deal with expats uh on a panel of say 30 lenders one would do it okay so a very niche market we found that it's very specialised and a lot of pulled out of that space. 
and now there's only really one of the majors. Yes, exactly. One okay. major thing that do it. Um, what do they do in terms of um, discounting for risk in terms of income? Okay, so obviously if you're earning money overseas, there are a number of risks that can in- occur. So first of all, you've got foreign exchange risk. The exchange rate fluctuates up and down all the time, so they need to account for that. The tax rates are different over there in whichever country you're in. So what they do is they discount the income to, say, 80%. That's what it a bank that we use does. So 80% of your income is used for serviceability. They use the Australian tax rates when they're coming out with a net income amount, yeah. which everyone tries to do. Uh, so, Morgan, <clears throat> one more factor is uh, can you tell us now with the LVR ratio, um, how high, if you're an expat, how high can you borrow? So, for expats, banks will only lend to 80%. Whereas if you live in Australia, they'll lend over 80% of the value of the property. However, lenders' mortgage insurance will apply. But for expats, lenders' mortgage insurance isn't applicable. You've got to be under the 80%. So no exemptions, no hard and fast rule? Yes, exactly. Okay, and the banks are hot on that? Uh, definitely. Very hot, very hot. Okay, good. No, that's good. Um, what about – now, I found this when I was living in London um, – Pay structures overseas are quite different to Australia. Um, typically in Australia, you get a fixed wage. I know that in London and also the States, um, the bulk of your your pay packet often, not always, but often is a large bonus. How do the lenders deal with that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Because a bonus is not necessarily consistent, it can vary. There's no pattern per se in how you get that so they once again require pay slips of those bonuses bank accounts your tax return at the end of the year to show that you got it and it stayed so you declared it however they just need more checks and balances to establish and they need to establish a pattern are you getting it one year are you getting it every year for the last five years did you get it and then it skipped a year, so they need to work out to determine how much percent of that they can use for the serviceability. So the, they're really going to have consistency. Yeah. That's- so, um, you know, with APRA looking over their shoulder, these lenders, um, in my opinion, they're trying to put together an argument to say that if that loan um, doesn't work out in the future, that they've got a justifiable basis for lending the money to that person. So with the bonuses, if there's a pattern there and it's recurring, often they can include that. Even though it's still discounted, um, they will factor it into the serviceability towards a loan um, if the, the person that we're um, applying for the loan for can prove that, that this has been um, coming in year in, year out. Is that what, the, yeah, is that what you say yeah. the case is? Okay. Yeah. Now, um, there's a couple of little idiosyncrasies, aren't there, with um, organising these loans. Can you do interest-only loans for people who are living overseas? No. So if you're living overseas, this only came in January this year. So you have to have principal and interest repayments on your loans. And also the interest rate can be a little bit higher than if you were living in Australia as well. And that's another thing to counteract the risk of lending money to someone who does not live in Australia. It's a bit tough, isn't it, really? Like, <laughs> um, you know, when, when, when one of our situations, um, you know, the bank... They don't, unless they're doing an annual review, and often they don't with home loans, they don't actually know where the people are living. 
No. You know, so if you've got investment properties, you know, there's a way that is like a hack, isn't there? If you came back and did all your assessments for a period of time, you could actually potentially qualify as a lender in Australia, which would qualify you for interest-only rate, a lower interest rate. But, you know... Um, that's an option, but for a lot of these people that were dealing with their time poor, they come back, their holidays are very short, um, and so that's not an option. They're happy to pay the higher interest rate because it's the difference between getting the deal over the line and not. Um, and when you're applying to buy new properties, they do a reassessment of everything. So um, in our situation, um, even though it's P&I and a higher rate, uh, the people have been happy to work with it because they know that the, the deal that they're getting themselves into has been worthy of that premium that they're paying and also when they come back to australia they would refinance and then they'll be able to put their investment properties back onto interest only back down to the lower rate so it's not forever it's only for the period that they're overseas for and you know dealing with these expats another story that comes to mind is um you know we uh, had someone reach out to us again and they wanted us to do some finance and when we looked at their situation um, it was almost like at first glance, it was just um, an extreme story, wasn't it? Really, <laughs> like you know, the the money that they were talking about on the phone, um, and the debts in Australia, and their existing property portfolio that they wanted to roll into this deal. Um, I guess it's fair to say that uh, they were a substantial income earner, weren't they? And we, until we, you know, just after the first conversation with. That particular person, um, we didn't think in our mind that the numbers would all stack up. I guess <laughs> did we? Until the until the actual um, documents came through, we were pleasantly surprised. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sometimes you just need to see it on paper. So you know, um, with these expats, the pay packets can um, vary. Like in Australia, it's almost um, you know, there's a band which within which salary wage earners sort of seem to earn, isn't there? Whereas overseas, it's almost like free-for-all. Yeah. You know, you really don't know what's going to happen uh, until you've got the numbers in front of you and you assess it. So I, I think what we're learning is um, take on board um, and listen to what people are saying and then sit down and actually crunch the numbers before giving advice off the hip on the phone. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, what about... Um, in situations when you're getting documents from overseas, will banks ever accept scan documents or do they always need originals? Um, I have had one instance where we had to ask for a special like, circumstance allowance to settle because they're purchasing a property on signed scan documents and they actually said okay, which is unusual, and they said as long as we get the documents within the week, that's fine. Well, that's really unheard of, isn't it? And like whether they're going to get the documents in a week or not, I don't know how they... Took my word for it, took our word for it, but they ended up being getting them a couple of weeks later, and they were fine with that. So there is, but you've got to be prepared because they may say no, and then you're in big trouble. And you know, we've also learnt that things do take a hell of a lot longer, don't they? <laughs> like yeah. even just from the point of view of assessing the deal, you know, a normal home loan can be assessed in what forty eight hours if the banks yeah again yeah. Whereas with these overseas loans, because of the level of complexity. They could take a week to two weeks to assess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the thoroughness of their investigation is almost unprecedented, isn't it? <laughs> yes. But if, but if you know what you're you, um, if you know what you're dealing with, and you're upfront in giving that feedback to the customer to to say, insofar as, look, don't expect an answer for a couple of weeks. 
you know, so you're pre-warning them. Um, you know, everyone's on the same page and it's not really an issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, what about witnessing documents overseas? So this rule is different for every state in Australia. So it depends where you're buying the property in Australia. It depends on how the documents need to be witnessed overseas. So I know, for instance, Queensland, if you're buying a property up there, it's very strenuous, the witnessing process. There is a short list of people that are allowed to witness it, such as lawyers, um, notary publics. And if you get a notary public to witness it, there's actually an additional document, a Form 20, that they have to sign as well. And if they don't sign that additional document, the bank won't accept the witnessing. So it's very important when you're signing the documents to make sure you've got everything in order because um, I know in one case, if you send it back to Australia and you're missing that notary witness, the bank won't accept it, the deal won't go through. So something to keep an eye out for and ring your conveyancer, if that, see if they've got any tips on that one for you. I think also something I've learned is, you know, um, Dealing with these overseas situations, you've got to give yourself an incredible amount of extra time, like because um, time, you know, firstly, time zone differences. So our daytime is their night. So if we're sending a document today, it's not like it's interstate and it comes back within an hour or whatever. It's got a, you know, it's almost like a 24-hour lag um, between getting a document from here to there and back. Um, other things are that these expats travel a lot. Yes. They're often on holidays. Um, they're away from their families. And if it's a husband and wife, then um, if one expat is in one country and the wife is in another country, the documents can't get signed. No, they can't. <laughs> so, and then in addition to that, um, you know, the banks are so busy. Try to avoid end of financial year settlements. It's a nightmare time-wise because the banks are snowed under. Everyone wants their investment property to be settling before the end of the financial year. Obviously, there's tax advantages for doing that because deductions can be claimed and um, interest can be prepaid 13 months in advance, all of those sorts of things. But that all needs to make sure that the deal happens before the end of the financial year. So we found with one deal that there was a backlog of work in the system. The bank didn't look at it until like a day or so before settlement. and It was a mad rush. But um, I think when you've got these specialists um, looking over your file, they've got special privileges in the in the hierarchy of the the settlement process. So we had documents coming in on that deal on the day that the actual settlement was supposed to take place, and it settled a day late. So there was no drama. But um, had it gone through the normal channels, it could have been a week late. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But anyway, we got there in the end. Um, it was a good, good outcome for everyone. So I think that there's um, – we're, we're sort of suggesting that if you're an expat and you're not happy with the way that your bank is dealing with you or you're finding it hard to ring in on a one three hundred number, then we're probably the solution for you. Um, we find that we're developing a niche in this sector and that we're able to give a really good service to our expat customers – um, it's not something that your normal mortgage broker can handle. It really suits us like a hand in a glove with the accountant side of things because we're across all the numbers. Um, so, yeah, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're, you know, disgruntled with your relationship with your bank, um, reach out to us and uh, we'll um, see if we can help you out. 